Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans chapter six is where we're going to be for the entirety of our study today. And so uh, I'll make things really easy on you if you'll just crank a Bible open to Romans chapter six and just leave your Bible laying right there. We're just going to work this text for uh, the duration of our time together as we uh, think about some important things that Paul talks about in Romans chapter six. It is a beautiful first day of the week here in South Central Kentucky and I am so thankful to God to be able to uh, see this brand new day and I'm thankful to have the opportunity to present some things and share some things from Scripture that I hope will be helpful and instructive for you and I want to just get right to it in Romans the 6th chapter. Read with me, kind of a lengthy reading beginning in Romans 6 starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His... We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me get you to imagine with me uh, just a few hypothetical scenarios. These might seem a little far-fetched, but just use your imagination a little bit. Imagine, first of all, a boss at a company picking up the telephone on Monday morning and saying to his new employee, Hey, where are you today? It's Monday. You should be here at work. Why aren't you here at work? And the guy on the other end says, Work? It's a beautiful sunny day outside. I'm going fishing today. I don't know who you are telling me to come to work. And the boss very confusedly says, What do you mean? Don't you remember? You came in, you applied for this job, you asked what the pay was going to be, and we came to agreement on the terms of all of that, and you said today was the day that you were going to start. Don't you know you're supposed to be here at work? And the man on the other end then says... Oh, oh, okay, that's what that meant whenever you said you're hired. Okay, okay, now I get it. Or imagine, if you will, maybe a young man who has just gotten married. And just a couple of days after coming home from the honeymoon, that young man is getting his tie on and getting his hair all fixed and he's getting all spiffed up. And his new bride says, well, well, what are you getting all dressed up for? Where are you going? And that young man then says, oh, I've got a date. Yeah, I met a pretty young lady the other day and I've got a date. And that new young bride says, no, you most certainly do not have a date. You can't do that. You can't go date other women. We're married. And the young man then says, oh, so that's what was meant whenever we said, 
I do. And we exchanged the rings and had the ceremony and all that. Oh, okay, 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 now I get it. Or imagine if maybe this week I was to get a phone call from the people down at Citizens Bank and they said to me, Mr. McKibben, um, we're calling because we're concerned. Uh, we haven't received any payments recently on your mortgage. Uh, what exactly seems to be the problem? And I then say to them, listen here, pal. I don't know who you are, but you don't be calling and asking me for money. I'm not sending you a dime of my money. And the Citizens Bank folks say, whoa, 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 whoa. What seems to be the issue here? Don't you remember? You came in, you applied for the loan, and we did all that paperwork, and we went through all of that process, and you then agreed to make those payments each month? And I then say, oh, okay, okay. So that's what that was all about. Okay, I'll be sending you a check this week. Now, as I said, all of those are very far-fetched scenarios. Because in all of those scenarios, we know the commitment that we are making in each of those areas of life. We know that when the company says, you're hired, that we are committing ourselves to come to work. We know that when we say, I do, to that special someone, that we are committing ourselves to that marriage. And we know as well when we go and we sign all 19,000 of those closing documents at the bank that we are committing ourselves to making those payments. In all of those scenarios, we understand that when we sign on the dotted line or whenever we say those special words, that that is the moment that we are making a life-changing commitment. Tell me this then. What about your commitment to Jesus Christ? When did that happen? What was that singular moment? When did that occur? I believe Paul shows us here in Romans the 6th chapter that baptism, baptism is that moment. That baptism is the beginning of a new life. It is the starting place of Christianity. It is the moment where we are committing ourselves to Jesus Christ. Now, for some reason in the religious world today, baptism isn't really talked about in those sorts of terms. I encounter lots of people, and I assume that maybe you do as well, who have been baptized or who at least have some kind of a baptism story in their past. Maybe they were baptized as a baby or they were baptized into a church or a denomination. There was some sprinkling that happened. There was some pouring that happened. Something happened to them that they call baptism. And while they might see that as being a, a memorable occasion or an important event in their life, as soon as I start talking to them from Romans chapter 6 and I ask them about baptism being a life-changing commitment, that the, that was the moment where everything changed. That was the moment in time where they became a child of God. They were saved. They were being a Christian. It was that key moment when they began their walk with the Lord... I find that I get an awful lot of, yeah, well, <clears throat> I'm not really sure I don't really know about that. And yet that's exactly what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 6. In Romans 6, Paul maps out for us the fundamentals of baptism. What it's all about. How it's done. What takes place when a person makes that single greatest commitment in life, a commitment to Jesus Christ.
In fact, you should know that Paul originally wrote this letter to a group of people who weren't exactly following through on their commitment. And so he wants to know, he wants to know, hey, when are you going to send in your house payment? Hey, when are you going to show up for work? Hey, don't you remember the commitment that you made to Jesus in the waters of baptism? This morning, I want to look at Romans chapter 6. And I want to use this passage to teach us three fundamental truths about baptism and the critical and important role that it plays in our salvation. Are you ready for that? That all begins right here in verse number 1. Just stay right here in Romans chapter 6. Look at verse number 1 again. On the surface, when you look at Romans chapter 6 verse 1, on the surface, that doesn't seem to have anything to do with baptism, does it? Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It doesn't sound like Paul's really ready to venture off into a big discussion about baptism. It sounds more like he's addressing a problem. And indeed he is addressing a problem. Some of those Christians there in Rome, they were thinking and they were saying that sin, well sin isn't really that big of a deal. I mean, come on, if you sin, well it's no problem, you just... Just get you some forgiveness. That's the grace of God. And in fact, the more that you sin, well then the more forgiveness you can receive and the more you can appreciate God's abounding and marvelous and amazing grace. They were thinking to themselves, hey, sin, eh, sin's just not really that big of a deal. Well, Paul responds to that casual attitude in verse 1 by saying, you're way off base. Verse 2, he says, by no means... Paul is saying that when you became a Christian, things between you and sin changed. And that is this first fundamental truth from Romans chapter 6, and that is that baptism changes our relationship with sin. And there's really no way that anyone reading Romans chapter 6 could possibly miss that. Look at verse 4 again. Paul says, "...we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into..." death, then look at the end of the verse, so that we might walk in newness of life. He's talking about a change taking place there. Look at verse 6 now. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. You cannot get out of those first 11 verses without realizing that baptism is the defining moment when a person's relationship with God and a person's relationship with sin are forever changed. One has begun and the other has come to an end. Now I want you to recognize that by saying this, Paul does not mean to imply that once you are baptized, that you are never ever going to sin again. No, that's not what he means at all. In fact, if that is what he meant, then he wouldn't have said what he goes on to say in the next couple of verses. Would you look at verse 12? Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Being free from sin here is not talking about 
a specific sin. Rather, Paul is talking about sin as being the controlling influence, the dominant power in your life, as being the dictator of your life. Paul says that at baptism, that rule, it comes to an absolute end. That yes, once upon a time, I used to be enslaved in sin. I used to be held under its power. I used to be doing all that kind of stuff, living for the devil, doing what I wanted to do. But when I was baptized, something changed. Verse 2, I died to sin. That is how I view sin, how I think about sin, my attitude towards sin. It's all different now. And I want to say again, baptism does not mean that you are now sinless. No, in all probability, you will sin again. But when it happens now, it will be out of character. It will be unexpected. Because sin no longer defines who you are. You are no longer a sinner in the sense that that's who I am and that's what I'm all about. No, it no longer has that dominion and that rule over you. Your relationship to sin has changed. Maybe the really practical point here is that baptism is not something that you do and then once you come up out of that water, you just go on your merry way, unchanged, no different, hey, sin, no big deal. No. No, baptism is a death. It's a death to sin. It's a death to the old man. I'm giving up my old way of doing things. Only living for self, only doing what I wanted to do, what pleased me. I'm leaving all that behind so that I can live in a new way, a better way, living for Jesus. That means that I can no longer willingly or happily be involved in sin because I've changed my mind and I've committed myself to Jesus in the waters of baptism. Just incidentally, do you see here why infant baptism just doesn't make any sense? What sin has an infant child committed? Furthermore, how can a child, an infant, how can they even understand what sin is, let alone change their relationship to it? You know, infant baptism, it just doesn't fit here. It doesn't fit with what Paul's talking about in Romans 6. But can I maybe sharpen on that a little bit more? Because I don't imagine that anybody who's listening to me right now was, was planning on baptizing a baby anytime soon. But, but can I ask you, what about people who are baptized for other wrong motivations and other poor reasons? What about, for example, people who are baptized in order to please others? Sometimes a non-believing spouse will be baptized in order to please a believing spouse. Sometimes children will be baptized in order to make their mom and dad happier. Maybe just get mom and dad off their back. Sometimes people are baptized just because others are doing it. There's a big emotional surge and rush and they get caught up in the moment. So they go forward to do what everybody else is doing. But, but in all those scenarios, do you see what's wrong in each of those areas? In all those cases, there's no commitment to a new way of living. There's no commitment to end that relationship with sin. There's no commitment to kill, to mortify the old man. They didn't die to sin. They didn't put the old man away. In plain terms, in those cases, what happened when those people got baptized? Mm -hmm. They just got wet. I'll say again for the third time now. 
The fact that you sinned after you were baptized, that does not mean that your baptism was invalid. Christians still sin despite our best efforts. However, I will say this, if you went into the waters of baptism indifferent to sin, and you came up out of the waters of baptism still indifferent to sin, still committed to your old way of living, not repenting, not really turning, not turning to Jesus, you just went through that little religious rite, that little religious ceremony, then what you need to do is you need to think long and hard about what you did and compare that to what Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 6. That baptism is designed to change our relationship with sin forever. In fact, Paul takes that a step further by letting us know that how you are baptized is important. Because threaded all throughout this passage is truth number two, and that is that baptism is a burial. It is. It's a burial. You probably know someone, or at the very least, you've maybe seen this reenacted on television or in movies. Someone who is christened as a baby... And usually, of course, there's a, there's a big ceremony that goes along with that and all of that culminates with a, with a priest or a clergyman uh, pouring, a, pouring a cup of water or pouring a chalice of water over top of the head of that baby. Now, I don't want to sound mean or insensitive or, or ugly about something that I'm sure many people have very warm feelings about. But can I just be clear? That's not the baptism of Romans chapter 6. A few little drops of water on the forehead of a child? That's not what Paul's talking about here. Would you look closely again at the terms that Paul uses to describe baptism? Even if you didn't know what this word meant, you could get that just by looking at the words that he uses around it. In verse 3 again, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death Verse 4, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. We were buried. There is only one kind of baptism that can fit that description and that is total immersion. In fact, that is what the word means. It means immersion. It's the only kind of baptism that constitutes a burial. You know, nobody sees a baby have a few drops of water poured on its forehead and says, Whoa! They buried that baby! No! Nobody sees someone have a pitcher of water poured over top of them and say, Whoa! Look out! He got buried there! No! It is only when a person is fully immersed, plunged in and under the water totally submerged and then brought back up, only then have they done what Romans 6 is talking about. And i got to tell you, I know about that. In fact, many times I have to know about that. Because many times within the congregation, I am called upon to do the baptizing. And I can tell you what my job is when I'm standing behind that curtain, when I'm standing in that, in that water. My job in that baptistry is, is pretty it's singular. My job is to bury you. My job is to watch and to see and to make sure that I get you fully buried. Not some of you, 
Not part of you, not even most of you, but to get all of your body buried under the water. In fact, if we don't get you all the way under the first time, and I notice that, or somebody else maybe notices that, then we're going to try it again until we do get you fully immersed, to be fully and completely buried. Somebody's maybe wondering, well, you know, why does that matter? That seems like being awful nitpicky. Well, I'll tell you why that matters. As Romans 6 bears out in baptism, we are doing what Jesus did. Jesus died, we're going to die. Jesus was buried, we are going to be buried. That is the parallel that Paul is making in this text. And when Jesus died, they did not just sprinkle a little bit of dirt on top of Him and say, well, that's it, He's buried. No! Jesus was fully buried and covered in that tomb. And in the exact same way, you need to be, I need to be, we need to be fully buried. In fact, did you notice that not only does Paul tie baptism to the death and the burial of Jesus, but he also connects it to the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6, he continues on, verse 4, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 9, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. You see, it is all about death, but it's also all about resurrection. You know, we talk an awful lot about Jesus' death, and rightfully so. Jesus' death is hugely important. But you know what? The death of Jesus Christ wouldn't amount to anything if He wasn't raised from the dead. You think about it, lots of people die. In fact, lots of people died on Roman crosses. But only one person died on a Roman cross and rose from the dead never to die again. That's Jesus. And so we're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to die, we're going to be buried, and we're going to rise again in baptism. Do you see how important that is? You know, it's really easy for somebody to stand back and to point the finger and say, well, you know, I just don't really see why it matters or not. I don't really see whether it matters why you're fully immersed or not. Well, you know what? That might be your opinion. But that's not what the Bible is saying. And i got to tell you that anybody who was baptized in a form other than a burial, in complete and total immersion, they need to think about that. Because Romans 6 says baptism is a burial. Which brings us to this third and final truth this morning. Did you notice that when Paul talks about baptism in Romans 6, that he doesn't talk about being baptized into a church or being baptized into a denomination or an organization. No, Paul talks about baptism as being into Christ. Because the fundamental truth here is that baptism is what connects us. It is what unites us to Jesus Christ. And that is all throughout this text. Would you look at verse 3? All of us who have been baptized into Christ. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with Him. Verse 5, if we have been united with Him in a death like His. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him. All of this leads to the point in verse 8. Now if we have 
died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Paul says repeatedly that baptism is the moment where we are connected to Jesus, where we are brought into a covenant relationship with Him. We are now in Him. We are baptized into Christ. Paul would say in the Ephesian letter, that's where every spiritual blessing is. It is in Christ. How do you get into Christ? You are baptized into Christ. That is powerful, powerful language. Paul is saying here that the way to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you hear that a lot today. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, you know what? I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But you know what? The way to have that personal relationship is not by closing your eyes, waving your arms in the air and swaying back and forth and just simply accepting Jesus into your heart or just saying some little prayer or making some kind of an altar call. No. No, 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 no. Paul says if you want to be saved, if you want to be in Christ, then you need to be united with Him in baptism. There is no other way. Now, despite what Romans 6 says here about that, I know lots of people who really don't feel that baptism is that important as it pertains to their eternal salvation. I know people who they have maybe a baptism story in their past, but they really don't see that or view that as being the point where they got connected to Jesus. Others, even more so, show how little regard that they have for baptism by saying things like, oh yes, one of these days. Yeah, yeah, one of these days I'm going to be baptized. At some point in the future, I'm definitely going to do that. I'm going to be baptized one of these days. In fact, there are some churches who actually, you may know this already, who will schedule baptism services annually or quarterly or semi-annually and people will, they will wait. They will wait until that date rolls around on the calendar and then they'll all gather down at the river or wherever it's going to be and then they'll be baptized at that time. Why, for many, baptism is well, it's just little more than, than an initiation ceremony into a denomination or into a certain congregation. Sometimes people will even ask the question, hey, do I need to be baptized in order to join the Lakeside Church? There's not anything about that in Romans 6. There's nothing like that in here. Nothing about being baptized into a religious organization or into a specific group. I do realize later on in the Bible that the Bible talks about the idea of how we are all baptized into one body, that that happens. And I also understand as well that church membership and being a part of a local congregation, that's critically important. Lots about that in the New Testament. But Paul here talks about baptism as connecting you to Christ. It is into Christ, not into a church. It is into Christ that you and I are baptized. And so what every person needs to be thinking long and hard about is, number one, am I connected to Christ? Do I have that personal relationship with Jesus? And if the answer to that question is yes, then the follow-up question is just as important, and that is, when did I forge that relationship? When did that relationship begin? When did I get into Jesus? How did I get connected? And if you were not baptized into Christ, then can I just ask you, when and where was that connection? You see, it's vital for us to think along these lines. 
Because if I was baptized in order to join a religious group, if I was baptized in order to join myself to a certain congregation, that is very different than being baptized in order to be joined to Jesus, isn't it? That's very, very different. That's a baptism with a completely different purpose and a very different understanding. If that describes me, then what I need to do is I need to go back. I need to hit the rewind button. I need to recalibrate. I need to rethink. I need to reassess. I need to be baptized, like Romans 6 says, into Christ, making a commitment to Him. Baptism is. It is the place where we die to sin. It is the place where we bury the old man. And it is the place where we are united with Jesus in order to walk in newness of life. And what all of that means is, is that baptism is our birth. It is. We are born again. We are something new. We are a Christian. Now, as I look at all of these truths here, What part of that would make anybody think or believe that baptism is just kind of optional? What part of that would make anybody think that I can put all of that off until, until one of these days? What part of that would cause someone to think that I can be saved without being baptized? Listen to me very carefully. There is no such thing as an unbaptized Christian. Do you understand me? Number one, can you be a Christian without changing your relationship to sin? Can you be a Christian without burying that old man? And furthermore, can you be a Christian without being connected to and united with Jesus Christ? No, no, And no, there is nothing in Romans 6 or anywhere in the Bible for all of that matter that says that baptism is optional, that it's merely a formality, that it is something that you do once you are already saved, that it's merely an outward sign of an inward grace. Romans 6 says that baptism is a life-changing commitment to Jesus. It is the beginning point of Christianity. Now I will tell you, I would be tremendously disappointed to find out that I had been mailing in payments month after month after month thinking that I had bought a house only to find out that I don't actually own that house. That would be really disappointing. I would be really disappointed to think that I had gotten a job and then show up and report on the first day of work only to find out, sorry, we hired the other guy. Those would be really disappointing things to have to endure. But you know what? None of that can compare to the disappointment of thinking that I am a Christian only to find out that I'm not. Because the truth is, I never made this commitment to Jesus in the waters of baptism. The good news about that is that the world is still standing And there is still breath in your body. Which means that you have an opportunity to change that. And if I can be of some assistance in helping you to say, 
I want to do what Romans 6 says. Help me to do that. Then it would be my honor and it would be my privilege to assist you in being baptized into Christ and to begin your walk with Him from this day forward. Can we pray about that right now? Let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, Father, we thank You so very much for Your Word. We're thankful, Lord, for Romans the 6th chapter and other places like it where You have revealed to us what it is that You want us to do. We're thankful so much, Lord, for Your great plan. We thank You for sending Jesus to this earth that makes our salvation possible. We're thankful for what He set in motion through His own life, through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, that we through baptism, we might reenact those very same things. And in so doing, Father, we might become obedient to Your will. We may access Your grace and Your mercy and Your forgiveness, and we can be made right with You. Father, we thank You so much for Jesus' sacrifice. We thank You for loving us enough in order to make that possible. And we pray, Father, that Your Word would not remain in this building. We pray, Father, that Your Word would be like a fire in our hearts and that if there are changes that we need to make, that we need to change our attitude about sin, that there may be something in our life that we just need to correct, that we would have the courage to do that. Even, Father, if we examine ourselves and find that we are not really saved, Father, help us to have the courage and the desire to act and to do that immediately so that we can be brought into a right relationship with You. We thank You for Jesus, and it is through His holy and precious name that we pray. And amen.